0: Welcome to another edition of Take 15 at the CFA Institute. My name is Greg Seals. I'm Director of Fixed Income and Behavioral Finance. And we have the great pleasure today of being joined by Dr. Dan Ariely. And Dan is a Professor of Behavioral Economics at Duke University, also the author of Predictably Irrational, which is a great book to add to your summer reading list. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. Uh, First off, maybe you could just talk a little bit about how different behavioral economics is from traditional economics, which most of us were trained in.
1: Yeah, so so I think the the difference is basically about what what do you start? What's the starting point? And kind of classical economics starts with some assumption about human behavior, basically about microeconomics assumption. It builds from there, and behavioral economics just tries to start from a, a cleaner slate with with less assumptions and just say, let's just put people in situation and observe what what they do. And it turns out when we just do that, we often find that people don't behave like they should behave if they are if they are rational and. And then the next step is: what are the implications of that? So, if you start from rationality, you end to some prescription and some pricing models. If you start from how people actually behave, you end up with different prescriptions for behavior and different prescriptions for what you should you should do about it. And um, behavioral economics, uh, I think, got kind of a huge boost from the financial market in in 2008. So, you know, up to up to 2008. We would do lots of small experiments, and people in the financial markets would say, "Oh, these are cute experiments. They're lovely. I'll tell my wife about it." But clearly, none of this would work out if these were professionals playing for lots of money in the competitive environment of the market. So, individuals w- might do it, but not for yeah, us. yeah, individual like, regular people, but not right. And then they would do on some of that. There's 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 uh, other people in the market you're competing against. Uh, there's leveraging. There's there's other forces that could actually put. Uh, structure in the market even if there are some people who are irrational. Um, And and the truth is that there was nothing to say about that argument. It was an argument about belief and possibility but it wasn't necessarily about reality and you can't really test it because you can't create two versions of the stock market Mm -hmm. uh, one with everybody rational and some irrational people. I mean there's just no way to do that. Um, so, So behavioral economics basically remained without an answer and the 2008 kind of and since then uh, problems, And it's not just the, the, the shock to the financial market, it's also the fluctuation, mm-hmm. where you really have to explain how the U.S. economy can one day lose or gain 10% of its, its value, which is kind of an incredible challenge. Um, and that kind of gave a huge boost to the field, not so much for the people in Chicago, right, the, kind of the Chicago School of Economics and, and, and Finance, but I think to the people on the street and the people in, who are practitioners, it says, maybe, maybe now we should really kind of look at this uh, a, bit more, a bit more carefully. And what's also interesting for me is that when I've been asking my friends in finance how they evaluate companies, uh, it used to be that the answer was that they were actually looking at the balance sheets. Mm-hmm. It was actually that they were looking at the value of the company. They were looking at what dividend they were doing. There was some kind of evaluation model. And after a while, they said, this evaluation model doesn't predict anything. So what we're going to do is we're just going to assume that the value of the company is whatever its value is in the stock market. But that's a huge step forward. It Prices means, are right all the time. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And and I think that was a dangerous, a really dangerous transition in terms of valuation.
0: Right. Sure. Well, that's a great uh, that's a great introduction to the field, and it certainly has uh, been getting a lot of uh, 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 gathering a lot of interest lately. Um, what about economic research going forward so you talked a little bit about the you know the different models but we've been through 50 or 60 years of this sort of rational financial economic um, thought dominating the scene Um, but is behavioral finance or behavioral economics really a new field or is it just a name that's been put on something that's been known for
1: a long time yes So, so I think many practitioners have kind of paid homage to traditional economic theory in terms of you know hiring people who come from economic standard economic theory background and so on, but actually realizing that it's not exactly the right Mm -hmm. model and modifying in some in some levels. And the reality is I love economics. I think it's a beautiful field. But but here is kind of the the way to think about it. As a descriptive discipline, economics is really quite nice. It describes X percent of the variance, which is just beautiful. Mm -hmm. Right? Economic describes some of the variants, sociology, psychology, all of them describe some of the variants in a non-overlapping situation. So the question is not so much is economic useful, the question is do we want to build models based just on economics? Right? So there's a difference between doing something that is prescriptive to descriptive. So saying, let me describe the world in economic terms, very useful, saying let me build a model that takes economic into account, assume that nothing else matter. And leverage on top of that right now we're talking dangerous and he, an analogy that I like is driving imagine you build roads for people who are perfectly rational drivers mm-hmm. how will the road look like it will have no margins because why would you ever pave stuff that people are not supposed to drive over it will not have lanes because why would you need it let people do what they do they would optimize right why would you want to restrict? you will not have these lines that go as you drive on them because again it's un- unneeded and you will have no speed limit now how long do you think we would live
0: <laughs> under
1: those conditions? So, And and here is kind of, I think, that the basic issue is that we don't make lots of mistakes. We make them occasionally, we make them systematically, and we make them predictably. But it is not all the time. Think about typing. When you type a regular page, how often do you make a mistake? Ah, uh, whatever. I mean, a few My times, mistake. a few times. Time. It's not all the time. But if this was life-threatening... Like in driving, it will be a disaster. You don't have to make mistakes all the time for it to be a disaster. Now, driving without any regulation is kind of like leveraging. Mm -hmm. It's saying, I'm going to build a system that assumes it's going to be 100% accuracy, and each mistake is going to be tremendously devastating. Right,
0: there's no margin for error. There's
1: no margin for error. And and I think we just have to recognize that we are error-prone. Everything we do, we make errors. Physicians make errors. Pilots make errors. I mean, we make errors all the time. It's just amazing to and um, When we drive, how often do you think you make errors while driving? I mean, I can embarrass you here publicly. <laughs> Have you ever texted while driving? Um, no. Checked your phone? <laughs> Emailed,
0: yes. <laughs> check email. my phone, yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, these, you know, when, when you check your phone while driving, you're taking tremendous risks. Now, the reason probably you're alive today is not because you're a great driver. It's because the roads allow you to make mistakes and not kill yourself. You must have found yourself at some point over the line, a different lane, some, something happened like this. But thankfully, nobody was next to you. And we have to create systems that account for that. Otherwise, every mistake
0: is going to be devastating. That's a great explanation. Um, what about um, some applications from your research for investment analysts? Um, you know, you've talked about some of the the problems that we have societally or you know as a as a market but yeah. um, what can people do to maybe you know protect themselves against making these errors uh, or watch for these errors
1: yeah so so, so you can describe it on, on on many levels Um. one way is, so i'll tell you what my strategy is in my own investment i don't have that much money but you know when i when i invest uh, i try to be not to be reactive so imagine two strategies one is you you log into your portfolio, you see what you have, and then you make decisions. Mm-hmm. The other one is you read the news, you decide what to do, and then you look at what you have. Mm-hmm. Right? These are very different approaches. Because the first one means that you're going to look at what you have, emotions are going to strike. It, you're going to be know, very unhappy with some things, or very happy with some stuff. And if you think that emotions are short-term leading you to make some irrational mistakes, being afraid or being happy and so on, this is not the right strategy. So what I try to do all the time is not to be reactive. Right? You actually, it's kind of interesting to say you don't want to look at the information to decide what to do because the specifics of the information are going to evoke emotion. What you want to do is to look at the information in a global way, figure out your strategy, and then just go to, to execute. So that's kind of in a, in a more investment uh, perspective. In a more kind of portfolio management uh, perspective or, or kind of in a bi- bigger way, what, what we know from behavioral economics is that the details are really important. So you want to understand what is the chain of decisions and where are the weak points. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, imagine that you understand that when a stock or bond move from being AAA to AA rated, lots of people somehow overestimate this difference mm-hmm. and have a reaction to that, right? right? Now you can be contrarian to that, right? right? So, or, or another example, um, trust turns out to be incredibly important. You know, the erosion of trust in the last few years have been really fundamental. Mm-hmm. And I know that some analysts actually follow brand reputation and trust and so on, but I think it suggests that trust could be a bigger part of the model mm-hmm. of what evaluation should should be about. So again, so you're saying, okay, there is. there is These qualitative
0: factors that you need to build into your assessment. That's
1: right. Yeah. So, so if you say, what is the psychology that leads people mm-hmm. to overvalue, undervalue, to be frightened, mm-hmm. to be overly excited, mm-hmm. and if you understand what the market follows in terms of kind of irrationalities, you can try and be contrarian to that. Now, it's very hard to be contrarian for the whole market, right. uh, but if you can look at the big players, and look at some of the systematic mistakes that they might have. That's usually an easier approach. And it's also, I think, easier to look at those things in block trading. Mm-hmm. So block trading is like a really strange phenomenon. If you look at it from the outside world, for you it probably looks natural. But if you look at it from the outside world, it really looks amazing, uh, what happened in block trading. But uh, all of a sudden, when, you, when, you, when you're trading directly, I mean not directly, through an intermediary, you can have lots of other information if you understand the strategy that your opponent Opponent, your you know counterpart might actually have right.
0: Great. Well, thanks so much, Dan, for your thoughts. My pleasure. Appreciate it. And thank you for joining us for another edition of Take 15 of the CFA Institute. Copyright 2010 CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute.